0: Tom Hanks' Joe Fox makes some questionable choices in You've Got Mail, and it can make you doubt at points. How romantic is this story of his courtship with Meg Ryan's Kathleen Kelly? I'll
1: just stay here until your friend gets here. Gee, is he late?
0: After Joe discovers that they're each other's secret internet pen pals, he keeps that a secret from her, while manipulating her into falling for him in real life. As shady as all that is, though, Joe's duplicity gets at the ultimate message of the film, which is that a lot of us are actually living double lives, often without realizing it. This duality is central to the romance because Kathleen also isn't living her truest life. So why are we so afraid to be our best selves when we know it's going to make us happy? And what is it that finally pushes us over the edge to make that change?
1: How about some coffee or, you know, drinks or dinner or a movie? For as long as we both shall live.
0: Here is our take on You've Got Mail and our defense of some of Joe Fox's more toxic traits. Joe and Kathleen actually meet online, anonymously, and begin an email relationship where they're deeply in tune with and intuitively understand each other. What will NY152 say today, I wonder? I turn on my computer, I wait impatiently as it connects. When they meet in person for the first time, too, when Joe brings his family members to Kathleen's story hour without telling her who he is, they also have immediate chemistry.
1: You've made me feel... Enchanting. Your mother was enchanting.
0: Yes, she was this meeting feels like a sliding doors moment for Joe. He faces a choice, whether to be the nice, vulnerable version of himself who's clearly enchanted with this person, or the arch-capitalist who treats Kathleen with distance and disdain. When Joe meets Kathleen again and she finds out his identity as part of the Fox Books family threatening her independent bookstore, he reflexively slips into the latter, because that's the callous-guarded role he's used to playing.
1: I am your competition, which you know perfectly well, or you would not have put up that sign just around the corner. You do not own the Phrase around the corner."
0: In a similar way, Kathleen's detest for Joe is based on his reputation and a lot of assumptions, rather than anything she's seen of him firsthand. So despite their deeper impulse to like each other, both let their circumstances dictate that they're suddenly entrenched in a hostile rivalry.
1: She's not as nice as she seems on television. You met her? Yeah. Boy, she's a pill.
0: More broadly, both are living the lives they think they should instead of the ones they really want, as we can see in their choice of partners. Joe is dating Patricia, a cynical and self-centered book editor who is basically the image of how Joe sees himself at the beginning of the film. I love how you've totally forgotten that you've had any role in her current situation. So obtuse. So insensitive. Reminds me of someone. Me! and Kathleen is dating Frank, a moralizing and somewhat pretentious writer who aligns with her artsy, cultured lifestyle.
1: You are a lone reed. You are a lone reed.
0: Yet neither Kathleen nor Joe seems to like or even engage with their partner very deeply. The disconnect between how Joe and Kathleen act in the real world versus in their email exchanges underlines how automatically we all slide into roles in the exterior world, often while feeling totally different inside. Many of Kathleen's and Joe's in-person interactions are followed by online confessions that they weren't happy with how they behaved or didn't feel it was an authentic expression of the person they want to be.
1: Someone provokes you, and instead of just smiling and moving on, you zing them. Hello, it's Mr. Nasty."
0: Joe is too business-minded, undervaluing sentiment because of how his wealthy, bottom-line-driven family has conditioned him. Meanwhile, Kathleen is too personally invested in her business. She's clinging to the shop as a way to avoid fully having to separate from her late mother, seeing it almost as an extension of her mom's life. I was decorating my Christmas tree unwrapping funky ornaments made of popsicle sticks and missing my mother so much I almost couldn't breathe." Much of her anger at Joe is really sadness that her mom's shop isn't equipped to survive in a modern capitalist landscape, and losing the shop makes her feel the loss of her mother all over again. I feel as if a part of me has died, and my mother has died all over again. But in fighting so hard to keep the store open, she's not facing the reality of her mother's death. And she's ultimately living her mom's life, devoting herself to her mother's memory instead of pursuing her own dreams. This is similar to how Joe blindly carries on his family's business while fearful of the person it's turning him into. If I really knew you, I know what I would find instead of a brain, a cash register, instead of a heart, a bottom line. It's only when Joe's and Kathleen's business relationship ends, because Kathleen's shop is forced to close, that they get the chance to start again. Kathleen is forced to push herself into new original territory.
1: There's this children's book editor I know from the store, and she's excited to read it when I'm finished. Yeah? Who would ever have thought that I would write?
0: And the pair can just get to know each other, like they did online, and realize organically that they get on pretty well. Their happy ending, which feels so precarious so close to not happening, reminds us how hard it is to stop behaving automatically as we think we should and start living as our real selves, and how rewarding it is if we take the leap. So if we know what we really want, what's actually stopping us from just going for it? One big lesson in the film is how hard it is to change someone's first impression of you. And there is a scientific basis to this. Psychologist Bertram Goronsky found that, after a bad first impression, the brain treats any later experiences that contradict the first impression as exceptions to the rule. This means that if you really want to change a first impression, you have to be persistent. Please, please leave, I beg you. You've Got Mail is loosely inspired by Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice, and likewise, in that story there's a major roadblock for Elizabeth and Mr. Darcy's romance created by bad first impressions. Elizabeth is very agreeable. Fairly tolerable, I dare say. Not handsome enough to tempt me. The very title Pride and Prejudice also gets at two of the inner factors that make us so blinded by first impressions. In Pride and Prejudice, the more obvious narrative is that the wealthy snob Darcy is too proud, and Elizabeth is too prejudiced against him based on false information she's heard about him. Just as in this story, Kathleen is prejudiced against proud Joe due to Fox Books. But as Joe himself suggests, really both characters are prejudiced and proud.
1: Elizabeth Bennet in Pride and Prejudice She was too proud. Or was she too prejudiced and Mr. Darcy is too proud?"
0: Fire Island, a contemporary queer retelling of the same story, emphasizes how our surrounding societies can reinforce these bad qualities in us. Will may be standoffish, but his rich friends are actively rude to Noah and his group, and so Noah sees that as evidence that Will is cut from the same cloth. Each has to be similarly persistent for these impressions to be overcome.
1: You have to trust me. I like we're friends or something something like that."
0: What's really holding all these characters back is putting social emotions over primary emotions, thinking too much about what other people might think, and not what we feel. Joe doesn't follow his gut about enchanting Kathleen, just as Kathleen quickly forgets the person she liked in the bookshop and jumps to believing she knows exactly who Joe Fox is based on his name. You are nothing but a suit. Trusting our first impressions is an act of self-preservation, an evolutionary response as we try to decide quickly who is a friend and who is a threat. But if we're not open to the idea that maybe those first impressions didn't paint the full picture, who knows what connections we could be missing out on? You've Got Mail is a film about the early days of the world wide web. It's got the screeching dial-up sound that accompanies the opening credits, the image of New York City effectively booting up from a rudimentary 3D image to the real thing, the AOL aesthetic mediating Joe and Kathleen's conversations, and the moral panic that Kathleen's journalist boyfriend has about how the modernity of the internet is eroding the good things about society. Do you know what this is? What we're seeing here, it's the end of Western civilization as we know it so it's interesting that the movie's vision of the internet feels almost utopian. Now, decades later, we're a lot more cynical about life online. Social media often feels bound up with inauthenticity, if not danger, and there's wide understanding that what's presented online doesn't represent the full scope of who we really are. But in You've Got Mail, the web is the only place where Joe and Kathleen can expose exactly who they are and become who they want to be. I like to start my notes to you as if we're already in the middle of a conversation. I pretend that we're the oldest and dearest friend." A lot of this boils down to anonymity. The correspondence becomes an important place for Joe to process and articulate that he often doesn't like the person he's behaving as. Likewise, it's a place for Kathleen to express and understand her ongoing mourning process of her mom, and discover who she is as an individual, not just following her mom's path. As the movie goes on, thanks to Joe, she learns to channel her more combative fighter instincts. But this also helps her verbalize more definitively what she stands for and why she doesn't believe Joe's mantra that business isn't personal.
1: All that means is that it wasn't personal to you, but it was personal to me. It's personal to a lot
0: of people. All of this reflection and growth wouldn't have happened if they hadn't felt that total freedom to express their honest thoughts to someone who was listening without judgment. All thanks to the internet.
1: Don't cry, shop girl. Joe can be
0: smug cold and dishonest, and it's blatantly unfair that the world often caters to his arrogant behavior Come on.
1: You can do it. Zip-zip.
0: while reacting hostily to Kathleen's earnest attempts to be nice. I
1: apologize. I apologize from the bottom of my heart. So sign already.
0: But in his online confessionals, Joe reveals a level of self awareness and self criticism he won't allow himself in the real world, where he thinks any vulnerability would come across as weakness. Just after he has an argument with Kathleen in person, he tells Shopgirl how badly he feels about how he acted.
1: Do you ever feel you become the worst version of yourself?
0: This unsparing self reflection makes it easier to forgive him, because by confessing to Shopgirl that these are his worst instincts, he's fighting against them.
1: I must warn you that when you finally have the pleasure of saying the thing you mean to say at the moment you mean to say it, remorse inevitably follows.
0: Joe eventually realizes that the raw, honest person he can be with Kathleen online is his best self, and he takes steps to move toward becoming that person in his outer life. The moment when Joe makes that decision to abandon the cynical, ultra-realist side of him and go for what he truly wants comes in a conversation with his father, who's facing yet another failed marriage. When Joe's father says the easy part will be meeting someone new, Joe scoffs.
1: Right, yeah. And a snap to find the one single person in the world who fills your heart with joy. Well, don't be ridiculous. Have I ever been with anybody who fit that description? Have you?
0: This, of course, makes Joe think of Kathleen, but also spurs him to realize that what most people are settling for, and confusing with love or happiness, isn't the real thing. And the authentic connection he has with Kathleen is that rare once-in-a-lifetime joy that most people never get.
1: This woman is the most adorable creature I've ever been in contact with, and if she turns out even to be as good-looking as a mailbox, I'd be crazy not to turn my life upside down and marry her.
0: The ethics gets murky after Joe doesn't tell Kathleen he's NY152, while cultivating their friendship. But that lie is part of an effort to nurture their online connection's transition into an IRL bond. If he'd revealed the truth when Kathleen was still angry about the store and so deeply prejudiced against him, this would have killed the connection.
1: I put you out of business, so you're entitled to hate me.
0: And it's Joe who makes their real-life friendship possible, pushing her beyond her dislike, to show her how much fun they have hanging out together. Interestingly, near the end he even challenges her to choose flesh-and-blood him over NY-152.
1: How can you forgive this guy for standing you up, and not forgive me for this tiny little thing? I'm putting you out of business.
0: And while she's tempted, it feels significant that she has to pick the inner love, the person she truly feels is her soulmate, representing her deepest self.
1: I really have to go.
0: At this point, too, it's as if she does sense on some level that the two men are the same. Because when he reveals this to her, she says, I wanted it to be you so bad. So this final union represents that both of them are at last merging their inner and outer selves. Do the ends always justify the means? No, but Joe is remorseful in his letters. He does want what's best for Shopgirl, and is clearly going through a crisis and not trying to become his father or his grandfather. So rather than dismissing him in anger, we can treat him with empathy, with the forgiveness we should offer to ourselves for all the ways we are currently failing to manifest our secret best selves. Ultimately, Shop Girl and NY152 get the happy ending of realizing the people they can be, thanks to the help of someone else who truly sees them. And that's the gift we should all be trying to give to ourselves. If only you could help.
1: Is it about love?
0: Which weird girl are you? We now have a line of weird girl merchandise. Are you the dreamy space cadet living on your own planet? Are you the delightfully spiraling basket case? Are you the ferocious goth? Are you the awkward misfit? Are you the smart ass? Make sure to order now.